I love the Christmas holidays, probably because I'm still kind of a kid at heart in many, many ways, uh, as most of you know, if you know me. But I love the Christmas season. I've been saying Merry Christmas to people, and they look at me like, I've, you know, like I'm some kind of a, a weird alien or something. I say Merry Christmas, and they're like, oh, isn't it a little early for that? I'm like, early? I was at Walmart the day after Halloween, and they were putting the Christmas stuff out, you know? And Christmas music's been playing for two weeks on the radio. I don't think it's too early. So if I say Merry Christmas to you, and you're offended, uh, just get over it, Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the Christmas holiday feeling already. Well, we are starting a series that will take us through Christmas today called The Grinch, Enlarging My Heart. Now, if you've never seen any version of The Grinch, this is a spoiler alert. I'm going to ruin the movie for you, okay? Uh, so if you need to you know, remove your children or any kind of weird thing like that, take care of that. But if you remember, the problem with The Grinch was that his heart was what? Two sizes too small. Two sizes too small. It wasn't just too small. It was two sizes too small. And this caused him to be a miserable, grouchy, mean, not person, but Grinch. And he wanted to make all of those around him just as miserable as he was, including, of course, the Who's in Whoville. Whosville. Whoville? Whosville. I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, Who's or Who's. But anyway... He decides he's going to ruin Christmas for them, but the kindness and the love of the Who's overcomes his meanness, and his heart eventually grows from two sizes too small to two sizes too big. Now, in this series, we want to allow God to kind of grow our hearts, kind of grow our hearts in several ways. Today, we're going to talk about developing a pure heart. Developing a pure heart. Next week, we'll talk about developing a passionate heart. The following week, we'll talk about developing a patient heart. And then on the 23rd, we'll talk about developing a peaceful heart. Now, I want to take this moment just to remind you that the number one people, the number one reason that people who don't attend church say they don't attend church is because... Yeah, that's very enthusiastic. Uh, nobody has invited them. No, because nobody has ever invited them. Now, folks, none of your friends, none of your sphere of influence, even your enemies, none of them who's in your sphere of influence should be able to say that they don't go to church because nobody's invited them. You need to invite them. And if you can't have a, a spiritual conversation with them or you don't feel confident about that, what you can do is invite them to come to church. Listen, everybody I know probably needs to grow in their passion and their compassion for others. Everybody I know probably needs to grow a little bit in their patience. And everybody I know at least wants a great deal of peace in their life. So these are practical sermons that I think will offer people some really wonderful things if we'll invite them, if they'll come, they'll hear God's word, and they will commit to it and give their lives to Christ and let him change them. Now in this uh, series, we've got kind of a key verse that we're going to look at, and I want us to look at it in both the ESV and the NIV. Now we uh, generally around here, we use the ESV version, and um, a lot of reasons for that I don't want to go into today, but I also want you to see it in the NIV version, not because it's any different. They really teach the same thing. They say, say basically the same thing, but in a little different way. But I want you to see what that is because I think it'll help you to really understand and grasp this verse. In the ESV, it says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. 
And then in, in the NIV version, it says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Wow. Same meaning, but a little more easily understood maybe here. This Hebrew word for heart does not mean the physical muscle. It is not saying, listen, above all else, when you go into battle, guard your heart. It's not saying that. This word for heart is, is, is the essence of who you are. It's our personality. It's our emotions. It's our will. It's our very being. It's, it's just who we are. It's the personality of us. And what this verse is saying is, listen, folks, above everything else in life, and listen, when the Bible says above all else, probably should listen, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Our heart is at the center of our being. It reflects who we are. Look at Proverbs 27, 19. It says, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. Now what this means is, uh, uh, listen, when you look at a mirror or you look down in water and you see your face, if you don't like what you see, um, that's too bad because that's you. <laughs> that, that is really what you look like. Unless there's a bunch of ripples in the water, and we'll talk about that another time. But, but here's the thing, folks. The reality is, the kind of person that we are in our hearts, it comes out. Now, we might try to put on a little mask when we go to work, and we might come to church and put on a little mask and be all you know, religious and Jesus-y on Sunday mornings and, and be a very different person at home and a very different person at work. But the reality is, who we really are seeps out. We can't hide it. As much as we'd like to at times, who we are in our hearts comes out in our behavior, comes out in our thoughts, comes out in our conversations. It does reflect to everyone who we are. You've heard it said, you are what you eat. That's not true. Okay, we've got donuts here this morning. You're not, we're not don't, I mean, I look more like a donut all the time, but I'm not a donut. Okay, I'm not what I eat, but I am a reflection of my heart. We can't avoid that. So what our hearts are is really the most important thing in directing our lives. So today, the first step to developing a pure heart, we're going to look at that. That will make it easier for us to develop our passion and our, present, our patience and our peace in the next three weeks. Now, I was trying to think of what would be a great example of, of showing you kind of uh, what happens to a heart when it's, it's impure and what makes it pure. And I thought about getting a water filter, and uh, if you notice out here right outside the door, uh, there's a big trench there where they're doing construction and stuff, and down in that trench was a big puddle of muddy, gross construction water. And I thought, you know what would be really powerful if I got a bottle of that and I brought up a water filter here and I poured that gunky, ugly, gross water through that water filter and then I drank the water as it came out of the filter. Frankly, I'm too scared of it to do that. <laughs> but that would be a great example of a, 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 an impure water getting purified by a filter. Now, you may have some of those things in your home. 
and, and the source may not be that gunky, ugly construction water, but it's still impure. It's got some impurities in it. And what your water filter does is it gets rid of all those things so that when you turn the tap on, it's absolute pure water that comes out. So how do we take our heart, which is full of impure motives, like selfishness, greed, ego, self-centeredness, jealousy, how do we take out all of those impurities and, and stuff our hearts through some kind of filter to get them pure at the end? Well, we're going to talk about that today. And the first way to do it is this. Admit my heart is impure. Until you fully acknowledge there's a problem, you never seek a solution. We just don't do that. One of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. And I was watching a little bit uh, this week. And, and somebody came up with this really cool idea. And one of the sharks said, uh, they said, hey, uh, you know what you've come up with here is a great solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And really what they were saying was, this is a really cool idea, but nobody's going to buy it because nobody has that problem. Sometimes I think we kind of think that way about our lives. Our lives are not much of a problem. But folks, we need to realize that our, our hearts are a problem. Our hearts are impure. They are full of impure motives. But it's important to understand what does a pure heart do? Why, why do I care? Well, here's why we should care. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That, now that's the little scary verse there. Because the Bible's just now saying, uh, uh, listen, if you want to see God, if you want to be connected to God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to have a pure heart. But wait a minute. My heart is full of all kinds of impurities. My heart is, is dark and, and, and selfish. What do I do? How do I deal with this? If we're honest, our hearts left to our own selves are highly impure. There's a quarterback named Joe Namath. Joe Namath uh, used to play for the New York Jets back in the uh, days when the Chiefs were good again, uh, way back in the late 60s, early 70s. Joe Namath played for the New York Jets. He's a very popular quarterback. And after he got through uh, playing, he developed a really severe alcohol problem. And uh, people tried to tell him, hey, Joe, you need to get some help. He's like, I got it under control. I got it under control. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, finally, uh, he was being interviewed one day. He'd been drinking a lot. And he'd been in, he was being interviewed live on television and the TV reporter was asking him how he thought the Jets would do the rest of the season, what he thought, and he couldn't even get a sentence out. And they continued to press him for an answer till he finally just hauled off and hit the reporter right in the face. Now, an interesting thing was after he saw that, he said, man, I, I had no idea. I had no idea I had that kind of problem. He said, I, I need to get some help. I had no idea. Now, back when I was playing music back in the 80s, um, you know, I thought I had all the moves, but the first time I saw myself on video, I'm like, holy cow, that's embarrassing. That, that's a white guy with no, uh, no uh, moves at all. He's just terrible, you know? And, and I saw who I really was. Folks, we need to see who we really are spiritually. We need to be honest with ourselves about our hearts, it's the most important thing to directing our lives. So what do we do? 
we don't always see ourselves accurately until we see ourselves accurately. I know it's a profound statement. How does the Bible say we are? Well, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody breaks God's laws. Everybody commits sins. Everybody is dark in their heart at times. We have to come to grips with this. Not just believe it, but really admit it. I mean, really, really embrace it in a sense. It's like a, if you ever go to an AA group, uh, one of the things that they do, um, and you've, I, you've probably seen it on movies, even if you've never been to a, a group, uh, but they come in and somebody says, hi, my name is Michael. And everybody goes, hi, Michael. And they start out by saying, and I'm an alcoholic. First thing they say. And then they begin to talk and do whatever it is they're going to do. I was thinking maybe to help us really grasp this, this uh, uh, understanding that we're really sinners, that we really do break God's laws, that we really do have impure hearts. I was thinking maybe we should have a sinner Sunday. And when we come to church, we all say to each other as we meet, hey, I'm Michael, I'm a sinner. Say, Hi, I'm Julie, I'm a sinner. Hey, I'm Joe, I'm a sinner. Maybe we just help us get it in our minds that we really are, because I think sometimes we either forget that or we don't really believe that. But folks, our impure hearts cause all kinds of problems for us. They cause relationship issues. They cause substance abuse issues. They cause relationship issues. They cause motivational issues. They cause relationship issues. They cause relationship issues. The reality is our impure hearts cause us issues in every area of life. And part of the reason is because I, as a guy with an impure heart who wants kind of what I want at times, now I'm going to interact with another person with an impure heart who wants what they want sometimes, and we kind of clash. We have these relationship issues. The final result, folks, is If we live our lives for ourselves, we damage others and we damage ourselves and we're dying, we're dying inside and we're being separated from God because we don't have a pure heart. Remember Matthew 5, 8? If we don't uh, don't have a pure heart, we can't be connected to God. So if we're ever going to develop a pure heart, we first have to admit, we have to admit that we have an impure heart. The second thing we have to do is believe that God can purify my heart. Do you believe a filter actually exists that we can run our hearts through? Look what it says in Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I read this verse a lot to explain the results of our impure hearts. But I want you to look at two important words that we sometimes maybe gloss over in this verse. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some people believe that they can fix their hearts and that they should do that before they come to God. You might invite somebody to church on Christmas and they say, man, maybe they'll make a little joke. Man, I can't do that. If I showed up at your church, that building gets struck by lightning. They say things. What they really mean in that is, your God, my stuff's too big. God can't fix my heart. My sins are too great. You, your God can't really do that for me. But folks, look at this word, these words, free gift. Free gift. You can try all you want to gain your own pure heart, but you can't do it. 
You can read self-help books. You can go to seminars. You can, you can get a life coach. And you can maybe get better in some areas of life, of course. But you'll never be able to have a pure heart just trying to do things to get better. The source of this is God. He wants to give you a free gift, life abundantly and life eternal. And if you do any online shopping, free it doesn't always mean free. <laughs> Let me tell you. I, I, I've done a little bit of online shopping and, and uh, you go and it says, hey, if you'll do this, you get a free gift. Well, they want my email so they can send me stuff all the time. They want my credit card information so they can maybe bill me for something I didn't order. And they want all this stuff to get the free thing. So I'm not sure that we really understand free. Free, what it really means in the original language, if you really look at all the nuances of it, what it really means is free. It means you, you do nothing for it. You can't do anything for it. It's already purchased. It always means free when God's talking about it. So what do we do? Where do we start? Well, we start here. Look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins or our impure heart, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, forgiveness is God's filter. Forgiveness is God's filter. Just like a filter can remove all the impurities of bad water, God's forgiveness can remove all the impurities of an impure heart. Pastor Michael, are you really saying that all of the stuff I've ever done can be removed if I just squish my heart through God's forgiveness? Yeah. Yeah. If we're ready to get real with ourselves and admit who we are and who Jesus is, that can be done. Look at Isaiah 118. It says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. These two colors to, to, to uh, describe red are like the boldest, biggest, brightest red colors that there ever has been. Now, if you are a... Uh, man and you've ever tried to do your own laundry, especially in college, and you put that uh, red t-shirt in with your underwear, you know that you wear pink underwear for a while, right? This says, as red as red can be, God's forgiveness, God's filter, takes all the red out. There's not a twinge of pink left. There's not a hint of non-white left. It is like wool. It is pure. It is like snow. It is as white as white can be. And I love in this verse, the Lord says, hey, sit down here with me. Let's reason this out together. He says, come now. Let us reason together. Now, that doesn't mean that we instruct God. But what it means is we get together and we say, God, I, I don't think, I, I don't know that you can do, get rid of my sins. My sins are a lot. Yes, I can. But God, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what's been in my past. Yes, I do. Uh, you don't understand what I've done to other people that nobody knows about. I know. It doesn't matter how big our argument is. It doesn't matter how big and bright our red is. His ability to, to purify our impure hearts is great enough 
to take all the tint of red out and to make us white. Now, the first step then clearly is to admit my heart is impure. The second is to believe that God can purify my heart. Here's the problem. A lot of people stop here. This is not enough. Some people stop here and they say, hey, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe they exist. In fact, I might even believe he's a prophet. I might even believe he's the savior of the world. I believe those things. It's not enough to just believe them in our minds. It takes a response from us. Because the Bible says even in the New Testament, the Bible says clearly that even the demons believe and they shake, they shudder in his presence. But there's a final critical step to gaining a pure heart. There is a final important step that we can't skip in helping our hearts get filtered by God's forgiveness and coming out pure. And that is to do this. Commit my heart fully to God. We must commit our heart to God in a conscious act of the will. This isn't about being religious. This is about doing religious things. It's not about going to church. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about going to a confirmation class. This is about us in our hearts, in our being, committing our way and our heart fully to God and what Christ, his son, has done. Look at Romans 3, verses 21 and 22. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We commit our hearts to God through faith in Jesus Christ. What that means is this act of committing our hearts and accepting Christ is by saying, in faith, I just trust that this filter works. Now, if I had really done some high R&D work and I had a filter that I could totally and completely trust, 100%, and I could pour that dirty water through and drink the purified water that came out of it, that'd be impressive, wouldn't it? That'd really be a thing. And you go, wow, that dude is really gutsy or stupid, one of the two. But here's the thing, guys. God is saying here, listen, if you'll put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to die for your sins and you believe in that and that alone, you put all your faith in that basket, you put all your eggs in that basket, you move all your chips to the center of the table, you're all in, nothing that you can do can add to it. The only thing that can help your impure heart is to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. That forgiveness is available. And by making that commitment, you can have your heart completely purified. You know, many of us have committed to Christ as a child or, or maybe without very much understanding. I was 12 at the time, and, and uh, uh, as a 12-year-old, I knew some things about the Lord, but not a lot. But what I did know is that I was a sinner and that I needed my sins forgiven, and I knew that Jesus was the only way that I could receive that forgiveness. So I put my faith and trust in him. I committed to him at that time, not knowing a whole lot of stuff. You know, sometimes people say, well, I, I'm not going to commit to Christ because I just, I don't, I need to know more. I need to uh, take a couple of seminary classes. I need to read some books. I need to become a, a mini theologian before I can really commit to that. Now, 
what this is like, folks, is committing to a marriage. Okay? When you commit to a marriage, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's coming down the road. You don't know how you're both going to change over time. You don't know what the circumstances of life are going to be. You just commit to it fully on your wedding day, and you say, I'm I'm committing to this, not knowing everything about the future, but I'm going to commit to it anyway. You don't say, well, I'm I'm just not going to commit very much until I know everything there is to know about the opposite sex. Nobody would ever get married, right? Nobody would ever get married. We say, listen, knowing what I know now, it's enough for me to commit. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know that much yet, I want you to know God loves you. He is waiting to purify your heart. He wants to do that today if you'll just put your faith and trust in him. We just make a decision to commit. He works it all out in time. It's just just how it is with Christ. When we commit to him, when we put our faith and trust in him and we give our lives to him, he works out the future. He makes our hearts pure. And we may still sin. In fact, we will still sin. But he keeps us pure. The moment we pollute again, he purifies us. Somebody asked me uh, this week, you know, uh, Pastor Michael, what if I don't remember all my sins this week? I mean, uh, what, if I, what if I ask God to forgive me of the things that I remember, but there's some things I don't remember? Do I still get forgiven? Do I have to, you have to have a perfect memory to stay forgiven? No. It's a little hard to understand, but when we put our faith and trust in Jesus to forgive our sins, in that moment... Now, we can't think outside of time and space, folks, but God does. In that moment, all of our sins are forgiven. The ones we've committed previous, the ones we're currently committing, and the ones we'll commit in the future, they're all forgiven. They all go through the purifier. They all come out on the other side completely and totally purified. Well, then, when should I do this? Well, here's what the Bible says. I would encourage you to read this. Revelation 3.20 says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What Jesus is saying here is this, folks. Listen, I'm I'm knocking on your heart already. Uh, Don't look for some big sign in the sky. Don't look for some big uh, crazy thing to happen. Don't create barriers to keep you from committing. I'm already knocking on your heart. And by the way, the friends that you're going to invite to church during the Christmas season, God's already knocking on their hearts. They may not know it, they may not say it, they may not understand it, but he is. You just invite them. Let God do his thing. Stay in our lane. We'll invite people and testify about what God's done for us, and we'll let God change people's hearts. We can't do that. But if you're here today and you've said, listen, I I admit that I do some bad things. In fact, I even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that God can, can, can do good things for me. I think he can help me. But you haven't committed to him yet. That, that uncomfortable feeling you're feeling right now, that's him knocking on your heart. Don't leave here today without answering the door and without opening it and putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And any of us can help you do that. We can just contact any of us and we'll, we'll talk you through that, okay? For some of you, you'll say, well, listen, I've done that, Michael. My life is still in chaos. I put my faith and trust in Jesus when I was a child or I did that 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But my life is still just in chaos. Why is that? Well, let me show you a couple of pictures that might help you understand why that is. 
You see, before we become a Christian, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus, uh, that circle uh, kind of shows our life. And all the things in our life are kind of just swirling about everywhere. They're kind of chaotic, out of control. And part of the reason is Jesus is outside of our life. We haven't put our faith and trust in him. And look who sits on the throne of our life there in the middle. Self. We run the show. We do what we want. Now, you may say, but I, can, I want to do some good things. Okay, that's fine, but you're still in control. You're still the one in charge. You're still the one doing whatever you want, when you want, how you want, to whom you want. Now, now some of us, when we become a Christian and we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we commit to him, uh, on the day that we commit to him, we're all in. But then things get a little out of control. Maybe we don't know how to trust him well. We haven't been discipled well. And we, we do this. We live like this. Jesus is in our life. He's our Savior. We put our faith and trust in him. But when we get scared, what do we do? We jump on the throne. We push him off. We jump on the throne and we say, hey, I'm, I'm, I got to run the show, Jesus, because I'm not sure I trust you totally. And our lives are still in chaos. If you're here and you'd say, listen, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, but my life is still just totally and completely chaotic. I would want you to think about this. Is this what's happened? Have I pushed him off of the throne and I'm sitting there trying to control things? There's an element of ego with that that basically, well, we maybe not consciously thinking it, what we're really saying is, Jesus, I can do this better than you can. Let me handle it. And you know one of the ways to kind of understand if you do that or not is when chaos comes into your life, do you pray first or do you pray last? Do you pray first and say, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to let you handle it. Tell me what to do. Show me what to do. Or do you do everything that you can to work it out yourself, and when you finally get to the end of your rope, you go, I can't do it, Lord. I can't fix it. Help me. Now I'm trusting you. That's kind of a way to recognize that. Here's the way to pull chaos out of your life. And that is to keep him on the throne. Don't only put your faith and trust in him today or when you did, make him your savior, but keep him on the throne of your life. Do what he says, follow his ways, be with his people, worship with his people, uh, uh, serve, give, love, do all the things that he says to do one another to one another. And your life begins to find some order. You see how those circles now are in some order? You stay off the throne and leave him on the throne and life begins. That doesn't mean that our lives are are perfect or we don't have any uh, uh, serious problems anymore. We do have the same problems. The Bible is very clear on this in many different areas. When the rain falls, it falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. When the sun shines, it shines on everybody. Okay? The, the, The struggles of life fall on all of us in one way or another. The question is, how do we handle it? How does it handle us? And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we keep him on the throne, that centers the rest of our life. Yes, we go through difficult times, but we trust him and he handles them. And I'm not talking about just being naive and stupid and going, ah, I can't do anything about it, I love Jesus. No, no, no. You, you, we gain uh, knowledge from him. We gain uh, 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 strategy from him. We gain all this stuff. But it's his way of doing it instead of our own. Folks, this is how to bring order to your life. This is how to bring 
uh, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about in the next three weeks into your life. I want to encourage you. If you're here today and you have not yet, if you're this person and you have not yet let Christ into your life, don't leave here today without praying and inviting Christ into your life without confessing to him that you know you're a sinner, that you know that Jesus is the only way to purify your heart and then ask him to purify your heart, ask him to come into your life and be the sinner of it. If you're here today, I want to just encourage you, get off the throne of your life and just let him have control. Let him have control because when you're here, you're going to be way more able to experience the things that we're going to talk about the next three weeks. It's important to keep Christ at the center. Christ at the center. And then all the spokes of our life are all in order. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your principles that guide and lead and teach us. Father, help us to not just admit who we are. We know that. It's pretty clear. God, help us to not just believe in who you are and who your son is and what you did to save us and to purify our hearts. But God, help us to really commit our lives to you. And for those of us who've already committed our lives to you, God, help us to keep you at the center of our lives, to to follow through with that commitment that we made. None of us, I don't think, ever committed our life to you by saying, Christ, I'll let you come in and and purify my heart, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to after that. We made a commitment to let you run our lives, but it's so easy when things come into our lives and we get panicked. We, We haven't been discipled properly. We don't know how to let you have control. We don't know how to keep you at the center of our lives, and we just jump on the throne. God, help us not do that. Help us to keep you at the center Help us to let you order our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Help us to really be a reflection of you to the world. We know that our hearts reflect out to everyone else who we really are. God, help our hearts to be pure. Help our lives to be pure by your forgiveness so that we can represent you to a world that desperately needs to see you. God, help them see you in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.